Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi, my name is Danielle Fiendarka. I do two things really. I'm co-founder of Utopia, which is a culture change business. We go in and we help build more purposeful, more inclusive and more entrepreneurial cultures. And I'm also co-author of a new book called Creative Superpowers, Equip Yourself for the Age of Creativity. In this series, we will be asking some of the people that have inspired us what the best piece of advice they have ever been given and how it's impacted their careers. Our guests come from a variety of creative backgrounds, including advertising, art, design, fashion, food experimentalism, literature and music. Please do feedback if you enjoy what you hear either by connecting with me on LinkedIn or commenting on Instagram or Twitter. The hashtag for the program is hashtag BPOAE. Welcome to the podcast, Sam. Um, for those that don't know you, please can you tell our kind listeners what you do? Right, I'm Sam Bompas of uh, Bombs and Par, and we are a creative studio focusing on giving you the best food and drink experiences you can possibly imagine. So what? So what? Tell us what are you most famous for? I mean, well, what? we start we start start making architectural jelly. So it sounds a bit pompous, but really, it's just it's um we couldn't afford the sorts of jelly molds that we wanted to use, and so Harry, my business partner, um, used the same techniques he used to design buildings. He's trained as an architect to design jellies, and then we kind of went from there, applying those same sort of techniques of porting and different knowledges into the realms of food and drink to try and come up with something totally new. That people hadn't seen before, and obviously you've gone you've gone much further behind jellies now, and you're doing some very big productions. So I went to your uh, brilliant ice cream uh, exhibition last year. What what might one of some of our listeners actually have been to that you've produced? Uh, well, we focus on prototyping our ideas in London and then shipping them off around the world. And it can be things like alkaline architecture, which is a breathable cloud of gin and tonic that intoxicates your lungs and eyeballs as you're breathing could be um, uh, doing anything like uh, the multi-sensory fireworks. So we did the New Year's Eve fireworks show for London for the quarter of a million people. And as you saw the fireworks explode in the sky, that assembled audience turned their mouths up and were able to taste and smell really? them. That's amazing. And so you do actually do a lot of work with brands. So what kind of brands would you work for? Who, who have been your clients, biggest clients over the last couple of years? Well, we start off um, very early. Making a jelly is a lot like making a cocktail. And so we went from jellies into cocktailing. Our second book was a book about cocktails. We've just finished rewriting it. And that very quickly took us into working with uh, drinks brands. So initially it was with Hendrix. And we went all the way around the country, country with this thing called the Hendrix Carriage of Curiosities, cooking the most insane dinners. I think back then now, I was talking about something about, about them now. And they were wild. They had courses which were a live stale hunt, which... People were given an atlet, which is an arch- like a archaic um, bit of meat jewelry. It's it used to like skewer wild boar's heads and garnish them with truffles and coxcombs, and it, you know fell out of use about two hundred years ago. But we had a live snail hunt where we'd hunt down a live snail, we'd cook it, and return to the table a few courses later. There were live leeches in the finger bowls. Um, there were levitating flying fondues that levitated um, as I sourced uh, steak ache uh, from the fondue. Um, it was pretty wild, but 
we quickly went from that. So that's a really long answer. <laughs> quickly went from that to working with all sorts of drinks brands. Um, you know, everyone from Perrier Jouet to lots of work around the world with people like Johnny Walker, who actually made a, a flavor organ for that changed your perception of taste. And then we've gone beyond there um, to work with luxury brands, LVMH, uh, Mercedes, um, and then lots of food brands as well. We like working with things that, that people, um, like Ben & Jerry's or something, which people may be quite familiar with. But if you present them in a new way, it gives them a naked lunch where they see what's on the end of their fork afresh. Well, I can I can say if anyone gets a chance to go to one of the dinners, you've ha- you've kindly hosted two of our dinners, and uh, in one of them, I actually uh, got the opportunity to cut an apple with a flaming sword, which was uh, definitely a highlight of my career. I think it's about a six foot flaming sword. It, it was, was, a, no, it was so yeah, not, definitely not. a broadsword. <laughs> so. Um, so how exactly did you find yourself getting into a career where you make money from making jelly and ice cream and other th- lovely stuff? Uh, well, I think the first bit was not focusing on making money at all. Um, and it was focusing on doing stuff that was really fun and things we loved. So when I started, I had a full-time job. Um, I was working for someone called FTI Consulting, who I'm actually still working with and still know, um, still hang out with all the people that, that I work with there. But we're just doing the jelly on the weekend. I remember going for my interview there, and um, you know, down on my CV, they, they, were, they were looking at this, saw this, oh, I've got a jelly company. And I think we talked about that for about half the interview. They weren't threatened that it was going to consume any any work. Um, I, I must say, I probably always came in earliest and left latest at the company. Um, but that was because they had epic printers there that, that were well used when we were promoting our architectural jelly banquet. Um but really, we sort of got into it because it was something fun to do on the weekend. Um, myself and a very old school friend, Harry Parr, um, were just keen on making making something that people could taste. And um, Jelly held the key. Great. Uh, before we go into the big question, what's the most interesting thing that happened to you in 2018? Oh, uh, golly, I think, I think the most momentous thing was hosting Scoop, which you came on to our our wonderful ice cream world and uh, this was as part of our project to found the British Museum of Food so a new cultural institution for the UK all about food and drink I think it's crazy that you've got all these art installations you've got the design museum how much how much does everyone think about what they're doing sitting on a chair what chair they're going to sit on that evening relative to what they're going to cook what they're going to make on the weekend what drinks they're going to have that night and so, you know, our earnest endeavour has been to try and start the British Museum of Food. And uh, it's something we haven't had any public funding for. And so we've had to just make it, make it all happen ourselves. And, and that's because we work very, very quickly. So quite often you have to find a way. Um, and with that in mind, we wanted to do a really big show this summer. And we thought, well, ice cream hold, holds the key. Luckily, we had the hottest summer ever. <laughs> so ice cream proved very popular. And it was it was kind of an important year for ice cream as well. So it's the 300th anniversary of the uh, first printed ice cream recipe, which is actually printed by an uh, English author and cook. And um, so we, we basically host a show. We work with Karen and Robin Weir, who are the world's foremost ice cream co- collectors. They've got a collection that you go into the house, it's totally normal. And uh, you open the door and it's like this Aladdin's cave of ice cream objects. They've got 14,000 objects that are packed floor to ceiling and they'd never exhibited it. They'd tried, they'd tried with all the seaside councils, all the big ice cream brands. 
everyone had come back to them and said, look, it's, it's not of interest at all. And when I heard this, I said, look, give us a year. We're going to put on a show. We're going to get this exhibited. And um, it was utterly delightful. I think, I think they came round 15 times. Um, they were so happy. They were like, I can't believe this, isn't, this hasn't happened before. And we're now speaking with them about, about uh, housing and exhibiting the collection permanently. Great. So I'm going to ask you the big question. So what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given and by whom? Uh, okay, so the best piece of advice I've ever been given. Um, this was back when I was 17 years old. I just I'd just finished school, finished my A-levels, and we're all summoned into uh, the very grand upper schools for an address by the headmaster. Now, I should say, I, I went to Eton. Um, it, was an, it was an incredible experience. I really enjoyed it. Um, doesn't always create the best humans, um, but... Yeah, and like, it's, so, it's, so, an, so, it's an interesting so experience. Is it, is it a coincidence then that you've moved into Jelly given this uh, this thing called the Eaton Mess? Uh, <laughs> yeah, we didn't get, get served much of that. But it's, um, yeah, and it's, I think it's used more in newspaper headlines, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Certainly a lot at the moment. Um, but, it, you know, it's incredible. The spaces were just magnificent. So we're, we're someone into this sort of upper school. We're all wearing these absurdly sort of formal and archaic penguin suits. And um, we sort of shuffle in for a dress for the headmaster for telling us what we're going to go off into the world. And I mean, this this space is very grand. If you can picture it, it's all, you know it's like the banqueting hall in Harry Potter. Um, it's all wood panelled, grand hall. There are all these busts of great thinkers and philosophers and statesmen like Gladstone, Locke, Burke, um, all wearing Roman togas. <laughs> it's totally absurd. Um, looking down on you like this sort of hand of fate. You've been told what to do. And we all sit down. We're ready for the headmaster. And uh, I'll always remember it. He sort of started off. He waved around. It wasn't very engaging. And then he said, I'm going to give you some advice. And the first thing he said was, never commit adultery in your old Etonian dressing gown. Which was <laughs> bewildering. It was bizarre. Um, I don't think very helpful. There was so much wrong with it. But... When you're 17, and the thing it did was made us pay attention, or made me pay attention. And that wasn't the best bit of advice I've ever had. I've certainly never had to use it. And who hasn't? Old school dressing gown. It's ridiculous. It's completely ridiculous. Um, but what he said next was, was very useful. And I think I've probably only remembered it because of um, the first bit. What he said next was, always drive your desk. It's, the, it's those 20-minute slots so by driving your desk, he means it's, it's find those 20 minutes gaps in your calendar that you can sit down and just do an extra little bit of work. And if you capitalize on them rather than fiddling around with your phone, rather oh, than just like gazing through the Metro newspaper, um, then that will have a massive impact on your overall productivity. So I really use that. If I'm sat at the back of the Uber, I always have my laptop out and just blaze through stuff. Um, if there's like you know a bit of time waiting for the train, I'll you know, actually do some work, and you know it means that I sort of basically get into the office and everything's already done. I get to spend the time chatting to people, thinking about what we're doing next. Um, yeah, it's almost like a like a you know fun day out, um, and so that's been that's been I think remarkable in driving our business and just just helping us be productive. And that, that's great because I mean obviously you you hire teams. I mean how what impact do you think social media is having? On, on actually 
filling people, you know, you talk about productivity, mm. filling gaps with things that maybe aren't the most productive. I think it's just been decimating in terms of in terms of people's psychic landscape as well, um, because it makes everyone an audience member, um, and it has the allure of making people a producer as well, because you can interact with it, and you seems like you're producing content as well. Um, but really, what you're doing is it, it's filling time in your brain, um, which you could be filling with with other interesting stuff that's more creative. And, uh, and I don't think social media is entirely a bad thing. I yeah. think I think that you know I work in the food and drink industry and. You know, here in the UK, food a decade ago was terrible. It was absolutely terrible. And I think it's largely because of social media that it's better. Oh, right. Interesting. So um, we do a lot of work with clients trying to help them be more productive. So how do you take? How have you taken that advice and actually uh, tried to inspire your teams to do the same thing within their work? Uh, what, to not waste time? Yes. Yeah, totally. Totally. <laughs> uh, and I think I think um, God, the most simple thing is setting deadlines. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's it. Um, but it's you know I'm everyone's got their own way of working, so that's something that's worked for me. Um, I think it's really important for everyone to find their best way. So with my team, it's more sketching out what we need the end result to be and why we want it to be like that, so they understand it, and then encouraging them to find their own route to get there and in, even in terms of working practices so um my working practice contrasts remarkably from harry's like harry is incredibly quick incredibly focused and very able to differentiate between work and not work so he'll come in at, uh, when we open the studio at 9 30 he'll work till 6 p.m and then he's out and in that time he'll have got everything done during that time, I would have probably had a load of meetings, just shuffled around, chatted some people, shuffled papers. And it's, it's almost outside of that time that I start doing writing, emails, you know, things that, that I qualify as sort of, you know, sort of like work. Um, so I work, I work a lot more slowly, a lot more expansively. Um, but we end up getting to the same place eventually, hopefully. hopefully. Well, I mean, it's interesting because you, I mean, fundamentally you are your business. How long has your business been going now? Uh, 11 and a half years. 11 years, amazing. Um, but you're, you know, you fundamentally have got, you know, you've got a big team, but you have got a partner. And I think what's interesting for me is I've also got a partner and, mm. you know, we are different. We are complementary. I mean, how, how important do you think that is for running, you know, being able to run sustainably a business for that long? Uh, well, I've got, I've got friends who run businesses by themselves. Um, I, frankly, it sounds miserable to me. Um, <laughs> just seems like there's a lot, you know, Having a business partner is completely wonderful, especially one that you actually like and get on with. Um, yeah, Harry and I have been friends now for 18 years. So, I mean, we, I mean, we really know each other very, very well. Yeah. Um, we've been in some really tough times. I think at one point he said that I'd ruined his life, um, which is quite a strong statement. Um, but we've worked, yeah. we've worked back from that. Um, and He's now forgiven you for that. Uh, I think so, <laughs> and that was that was in particular about. I mean, we had a deal because at the time we were doing everything, and 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 our skills were complementary. The thing that I could he could do that I could couldn't do was um, drive, and so we'd often have to drive huge Lutons, literally like quite big trucks of stuff up and down the con- the country. Um, and uh, we didn't, you know, when we got up to Arctic, then we get a professional driver. Um, but uh, so that's that's a lorry. Um, but then, 
you know, the only thing that I could do was tie bow ties. And we'd have all our, our, our staff in bow ties because it just looks really smart, and especially in catering. It doesn't get in the food. It's, it's neat. It looks like it's dressed up. It looks like it's elevated. Um, it kind of references like old school, uh, like Soho restaurants. You, you can imagine like the wait staff in Quo Vadis uh, dressed like that in, in the 1930s. Uh, but um, uh, the deal was that uh, I would learn to drive and he would learn to tie bow ties. Um, and that's something I failed at totally. <laughs> so, so, at that point, he was still doing all the driving and they would do the driving and they would have to like rig up a huge installation. I think that particular one was um, a chocolate climbing wall at Alton Towers, which... Um, so, which is a ten meter high chocolate chocolate that that shaped climbing ball. Was it didn't melt. No, it didn't melt. It had there chocolate the, running o- over the front, yeah, and um, Peter Andre came along to conquer yeah, his fear of heights. Telling me the story. And got got very um got very messy. It was it was very very intense. We had we at that time we didn't work with contractors. We just did everything ourselves. So we built the whole thing in our yard and then operated it as well. Uh, and had to get up in three days. But um yeah. <laughs> Um, as you know, because you've spoken with us before on this, but we um, we recently launched a book called Creative Superpowers mm. um, uh, that really looks into the importance of creativity in um, a technology world. Yeah. You know, and there's a, you know there's only two things that really differentiate us from robots, mm-hmm. and that's creativity and emotional intelligence. And we talk about four creative superpowers, specifically mm. hacker, maker, teacher, and thief. Yeah. Uh, which one of those are you, and do you have another creative superpower? Uh, I. Th- Think for me the the and my my when I read it so hackers hackers the one that sort of makes adjustments all the time yeah it makes it? A, 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 someone that's always looking at looking, looking at for problems stuff. and actually trying to fix them so so and I wouldn't put myself in one category I think I do everything except for the hacker so I like oh, I like really? to, I like oh, to just have I like to have something like done and then just on to oh, the next yeah, thing interesting and um so but all the other ones uh, I think have some resonance so like maker really we've got in our studio we've got kitchens we've got workshops I always try and encourage everyone to get up from the desk go out and like pick up some drills start building things and like prototype it and because you you end up with something that's really rich um, probably entirely unexpected I you know love embracing that creative chaos yeah. Um, and like teacher, we've obviously got a big team. Like one of the things that's important for me is is not just the work that they do in the studio, um, but how the studio can be useful, um, you know, for their life and seeing it almost like um, you know being part of like a school or something. So you go to school, um, you don't necessarily want to be there all the time, but hopefully it's a good one or a university. Um, you come out of it at the end of it with. Um, uh, you know, things that set you up for life. And maybe with in hindsight you look back at it and you think about all the wonderful things it's 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 done for you or, or how or how it's helped your own uh, progress. Even if while you're there it wasn't like the thing you absolutely wanted yeah, to be yeah. doing it all the time. So really try and do that with with uh, our staff, and it's amazing because we've got interns that are now direct like directors at huge ad companies who are now amazing. who are now our clients and yeah. <laughs> sort of come cap in hand. Doesn't it? I come it cap in hand to them. <laughs> like, I'll, hopefully, I was decent when when um, you were helping us out as an intern. Um, so we've talked about this before, but as a prolific maker, because mm. you are, you know, you make lots of stuff and you have lots of ideas. I mean, you have. I know you have ideas. You've got jaws of ideas. Mm. How do you choose which projects to go forward with? Uh, I think you know, for us, in terms of so, there's loads and loads of ideas. I think you use. Um, uh, many others as, as a creative filter. Um, so you use uh, f- 
like finances is a very good creative filter. Um, so <laughs> you've got lots of ideas that um, won't stack up. So you know, in terms of a really good idea, it has to be a great creative idea. Um, but really good ideas make money as well. Um, I think we're talking uh, before, and, and I was in the the Royal Academy and saw some like graffiti on um, uh, the inside of the the toilet door, and it said um, three pounds fifty for a cup of tea. Royal Academy just isn't for artists here. And uh, someone beneath it had scribbled, "Are you not good at coming? Very good at coming up with good ideas." And, and I think I think if you can come up with good ideas, there's always a way to um, monetize them. And, and there are lots of different ways to monetize them. It can be um, through public funding. Um, it can be through brands helping fund them. Um, or actually, if it if it's a really good idea, the, the way that we run most of our business now is getting lots and lots of people along, asking them to pay a small amount, of five or twenty pounds, something that people should be able to afford. We like to make things really affordable. Um, yeah, and then they get a fabulous experience uh, as well. But when you get enough of those people, um, when you start getting twenty thousand people or paying that, um, it starts becoming a very, very significant budget that that you can work with. Yeah, and so, uh, I mean, you run your own extremely successful creative agency. Mm. Uh, what advice would you give to anyone that's thinking of launching their own agency in the future? Uh, I think the most most important thing is don't don't overthink it. Um, uh, you know, so just send stuff out. Um, some ideas are going to work, some aren't. Um, uh, so you know, and I, I try and throw a lot at the wall because um, some of it's going to stick. So you know, at the moment, I'm, I'm working on putting together a Bible-based bodybuilding competition um, for Easter, and this is something that, that definitely won't be commercially successful, but should be a lot of fun, and that's that's important too. And you know, I really want to host it at a church. And, you know, it's quite a hard sell to let a church turn itself over to biblical bodybuilding. Um, so in something like that, I've, I've got a few warm leads. I, I started at the top, so I started off speaking with St. Paul's Cathedral and um, <laughs> Southern Cathedral. They said, they said, although they do like the work that we do and they're keen on a collaboration at some point, this probably isn't the one for them. Well, to answer that, the only thing I'd say is a, a very good friend of mine, so Ma, uh, Martin Farrell, mm. uh, he um, he managed to put the word tits onto the uh, dome of St. Paul's Cathedral. So they, you know, they... <laughs> and they're, they're, they're fabulous. They're, they're very, like the people that work there are fascinating. In, in actual fact, I think I just got, got there too late because they've already got 40 Easter services, big time of year for them. <laughs> that's their, that's their, that and Christmas are their, their um, uh, mega busy times. Um but so with that, you know, I've got a very long list of churches I'm calling up and trying to speak to, even though I've got some that are tentatively interested. Um, so it's just not, so not, it's not, it's not counting too much on one thing coming through to be a success, um, but just spreading yourself a bit. A bit and just, just a few more questions. So what, 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 I mean, what's your, what's your view on advice in general? How important is it to seek advice? Um, um, you know, and how much how much impact you know, and how much should you listen to advice? I'm, different people have different approaches, I and mean, I like to read a lot. And like, reading is a wonderful way of like projecting yourself into other people's headspace. You know, and and, and yeah, you can imagine there's a lot, a lot of like relativist politics at the moment. You can't possibly understand me because you haven't had my life experience until that time, um, which I just think is, is you know is a 
Yeah, rather sort of like belittles human imagination. Like, you know, you should, you know, we have wonderful imaginations. You can use them to imagine what it's like to be other people. And a really good way to get a very profound insight into that is to read, is to read books. Um, and you find out people's wonderful life stories. And, yeah, you know, I'm always interested by sort of like what happens next. So, um, you know, the reading of books has been a real goad for, for me and Harry, in particular setting up... Um, the British Museum of Food, and and that's really a response. You realise that you know we're in our thirties now. It's all like terrific fun. We're doing lots of really interesting things. And you look at, for example, um, uh, chefs, and they get to you know their sixties, and they've cooked all these fabulous meals to people, uh, but they're incredibly ephemeral. There's no there's no lasting impact for that. And and the memories are very important. They have a you know, if you give someone the best meal of their life, that could be complete a completely remarkable thing mm. to do and that's like you know, incredible to do um but you often see chefs that when they get older scrabbling around to like think about what their legacy is and so you know really we thought about well what if we do some sort of a legacy project um that has an impact in in 200 years but let's do it in such a way it doesn't it doesn't need to be about our particular legacy <laughs> so we don't want anyone to remember our name it doesn't you know it doesn't actually matter but how do we yep. actually do something that's useful for other people in hundreds of years' time, and 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 for me that is, you know, I look back at um, you know, total museum nerd, like the foundation of things like Albertopolis, which came off the back of the Great Exhibition. Now, most people don't really know, um, you know, how Albertopolis was founded. Um, you know, it's, that's the V&A and the Natural History Museum, um, and you know they don't, wouldn't know how the British Museum was founded as well. But it kind of doesn't matter. It's a wonderful, wonderful resource. Um, and treasure to have here in London that's gone on to inspire many other people to uh, do remarkable things. Great. What's the one question you would have liked me to ask you today? Uh, what's your next project and how can people buy tickets? <laughs> <laughs> so what's the answer to that? Uh, so it is Lost Lagoon. It's a subterranean buccaneers boating lake and that we're working with Captain Morgan. And so you're able to don pirate regalia and boat through a number of ultra tropical islands underground, under London, and um, make your very own rum punch. And we're, we're selling tickets from twenty twenty pounds, so it's pretty affordable. Great. Um, and yeah, it should be a roistering, swashbuckling lot of fun. And I'm sure I'll be there myself. Um, thank you, Sam. I hope our listeners found it as inspiring as I did. Uh, I just wish you'd bought me some jelly. Next time. Next time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Wobble Fest. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. This podcast is sponsored by Creative Superpowers, the book that gives you the skills to thrive in the age of creativity. Now available on Amazon and all good bookshops.